All right. Well, why don't we go ahead? Uh, why don't we go ahead and get started since no one's, uh, you know, jumping at the chance to say hello to everyone. Um, so I just want to welcome you all to this um, town hall uh, hosted by Civic Lex. Uh, my name is Richard Young. I'm the executive director of Civic Lex. For those of you all that don't know uh, us as an organization or what we do, we are a civic education organization and um, we uh, we host a lot of things like this in normal times um, and are hosts of continuing to host things like this in uh, the times that we're in right now. Um, this is our probably a 12th or 13th um, uh, town hall. We They happen every Tuesday and Thursday um, uh, at 3 p.m. So today we're going to be talking about the city budget, and I just want to um, extend a really sincere thank you um, to Tyler Scott and um, Amanda Bledsoe for being here today. I know you all are um, probably swamped right now, um, and I, you know, taking a, a, an hour out of your day to talk with us and to talk with the um, all the folks on this call um, really means a lot. And I know that um, I, I think that it probably goes without saying that this has been a uh, this budget process has been new and different and difficult for you all. And so I just really want to thank you all for taking the time to uh, engage with uh, everyday folks uh, about this. So I want to walk uh, before I give you all a chance to introduce yourselves. Um, I want to walk everyone through a couple ground rules in the process for today. So we're going to start with some facilitated questions. Um, so I, I have a set of questions that I'm going to ask um, uh, both of them. Um, about the budget, about this uh, processes here, um, about what's happening in city government. Uh, that's going to take about a half hour um, to 35 minutes. And then after which we're going to turn it open and um, give about 15 or 20 minutes for people to ask questions from the group. Um, I'm going to ask that everyone keep yourself on mute, um, please. Otherwise, it gets uh, very chaotic. Um, if you have a question throughout the call, um, it would be great. Uh, it would be great to drop it in in the chat, and we'll get to you. Um, you know, when when the time is appropriate, um, I might pepper in some questions during our um, during this first time if necessary. Uh, I do want to make sure, um, especially with so many people on the call, that everyone um, is respectful and kind. Um, we know that this is not an easy time for anyone, and so um, if uh, if someone starts unmuting themselves and shouting. I will mute you back. And if that keeps happening, uh, I'll boot you out of the call. I do have the ability to do that. Um, and I haven't had to exercise it yet in any of these. And I would say uh, we've had about 300 people or 400 people on our town halls over the past few weeks. And so um, I feel really good about the fact that I haven't had to do that. And so please don't make me do it. Um, this is a, a space for dialogue, not a space for debate. So if, um, if people have come here hot and heavy and ready to go, uh, I would ask that you go get a cool ice pack and cool yourself off for a little bit. Uh, and then we can come back here and have a really uh, generative conversation. Um, so why don't we go ahead and um, uh, with all those rules in place. Um, oh, one other thing, sorry. Um, I always forget to mention this. You're being recorded. Um, so if you do not want to be recorded, now is your chance to turn your camera off. Um, we do release these as videos after the fact. Um, and uh, both on YouTube and on Facebook, and we do release it as a podcast. So um, if you don't want to be recorded, um, you just turn your camera off. And if you turn off your camera and your microphone, um, no one will ever know you're here. Um, so just a FYI, um, that is great. So why don't we get started with introductions? Um, which of you all wants to go first? Are you pointing? She pointed at you, Tyler. Oh, are you muted still? Is that what's going on? She's muted because of the okay. drone in the aquarium over there. Okay, I'm Tyler Scott. I'm Marilyn Gordon's chief of staff. A um, little bit about my background. I uh, I graduated from Georgetown College in 2004. Uh, thought it'd be really cool to go jump out of airplanes and do things in the woods with guns. So I joined the army. Uh, spent uh, the next five years or so as a, an airborne infantry uh, officer. Like I said, in the army, um, spent 15 months in Baghdad. We were the first uh, battalion back into Baghdad for the surge. If everybody remembers those glorious times. Uh, came back after my time in the military, went to UK, got a, a master's in um, diplomacy and another one um, at the MBA program there. Uh, 
wound up taking a job with then Vice Mayor Linda Gordon right afterwards as her legislative aide. I uh, was there for a little while when she decided she was going to leave public service. I, uh, I took a role as, in the, uh, the finance administration here under then Mayor Jim Gray. And then uh, I went over to UK Healthcare to do strategic planning for a few years before I was asked to come back under, uh, under this administration. Great. Thank you so much uh, for the introduction and, and for joining us again. Uh, Councilmember Barroso? Sure. Is it still rough in the background? It's a little bit better, actually. Okay. I turned the fan off. I don't know if that does it or not. It. And this is a really old laptop. So um, my name is Amanda Bledsoe. I, the short, very story on me is I'm a fourth generation Lexingtonian. Lived here all my life. Um, went to college at Hillsdale College of Michigan, philosophy and Latin background. Came back to go to UK, um, did a master's in public policy at the Patterson School and did diplomacy work. Worked at the Council of State Governments for a number of years. Loved state policy. Um, that kind of stuff was, is really what I really enjoy. If you'd have told me that I would be working at City Hall and doing city budget, I would have never believed it. Um, but I love it. And uh, this is my third, into my third term. Um, right now. Oh, and I guess I should say I um, have served on a number of committees, but I have been on the budget committee the entire time I've been on council, which has been rare for someone um, at the very beginning. And I'm chair of the budget committee and I come in development right now. I'm married. I have two kids. I have a sixth grader and a third grader. So um, this whole working from home, doing schoolwork, NTI has been Fascinating. So I really hope that during this time you won't see anybody barging in here, but there are no guarantees. So appreciate your patience. Yeah, I think we all are. Uh, we're all all have to deal with people barging in on our calls constantly. So I, uh, I wouldn't worry about it if it happens. <laughs> um, great. So uh, obviously, um, a lot has changed in city government over the past month. Um, there are a lot of folks that aren't actually working in their offices. You all are going through the same things that that all of us are going through um, in, in our own jobs um, of having to do remote working. Um, but it's also had a really um, this time has also had a really significant impact um, on the city in a number of other ways that that aren't uh, really applicable to the rest of us. So I just kind of want to start uh, by asking how your individual jobs have changed and what it has been like to uh, to adjust to this new time. So why don't we start with uh, Councilmember Bledsoe? Sure. Um, I, I think the hardest thing is just you're not you can't meet with constituents. You know, one of the things that most of us really enjoy is is seeing our colleagues one and talking about what issues we care about, and then seeing the people that we represent and through coffees or for meetings and um, and you're not running into people at the grocery. If you are, you're waving quickly. You're not you know stopping to talk a little bit. You're not having those um, lunches and coffees, and so that has been just real challenging from just a constituent point of view, you want to talk to people and you really can't. And from a family perspective, it's tough to figure out how to balance all that when you've got two people working at home full time um, with kids. It is um, unsustainable at best. And it's really challenging. You know, I laugh at somebody. Usually someone will stop you on the street and say, hey, I'm about this or that. Um, and they call you, They you're really serious. By the time they've called their council member or the mayor's office, people are pretty upset. And so doing a lot of this remotely via phone and via email is just, um, it's challenging. It's really challenging, especially in these times. Yeah, I can, I can definitely understand that. Um, what about you, uh, Tyler? How has this changed your, your job? Uh, this, I'm kind of in the opposite role. My, my wife has been home with three kids every single day since this started. And I have been at work every single day since this started. Uh, we declared our um, our state of emergency on March 6th. It's been nonstop. Uh, there, there was no playbook for how to respond to an epidemic. Uh, very few people alive. This is the last one. Certainly none of them were in. Uh, we were frantically trying to pull together every every bit of expertise um, in the public health field that we could uh, we could get a hold of. Um, trying to learn every lesson we could from. Those who are seeing the uh, the shocks of this in Asia, those who uh, who are watching the the worst come uh, come through, especially in the Seattle areas, are watching nursing home outbreaks come and what they did right and what they didn't do right, and uh, understanding how as as the public health experts were telling us, 
to do this right, to save lives, you're going to have to make decisions today that will seem absolutely absurd. And the people are not gonna be with you. But by the time you get through it, if you did it right, they're gonna ask why you overreacted. And so every single day it's a, okay, you've got one case in Fayette County. It's time to start closing businesses. We said, that does not make sense. You've got one case, you know, two cases. Now it's time to close schools. Okay, we've got to do it. It's the right thing to do. This, this virus is spreading so fast. Uh, we do not know what the fatality rate is. We don't know how it affects different demographics differently. We don't know how it affects different age groups differently. We know very little about it. We just know that saving lives is the absolute foremost priority in, in everything we're going to do. I spent every single day and night talking to our hospital leaders, our public safety, uh, the governor's office, our, our congressmen, uh, our business leaders, schools, you name it, everybody trying to, we're basically all just trying to Apollo 13 this thing uh, out in space, trying to land it uh, as best we can. Uh, and there's just our normal jobs going on at the same time. They're still, you know, we had a mild winter, so violence never really dissipated in the way it normally would. Um, a lot of the plans we were looking to put in place to for youth programming in the summer now is completely out the window because you can't congregate anyone. Uh, a lot of feeding programs we would assist with uh, had to completely be redone because you can't let people congregate. You got to figure out a different way to do that. Um, we were constantly coming with plans for how to prevent outbreaks in our shelters. How do we prevent um, what we saw a lot of bus loads of, uh, of other homeless shelters across the state just emptying on Lexington streets in the middle of the night and uh, waking up the next morning to understand that we just suddenly overloaded another another homeless shelter and how in the world do we provide appropriate CDC guidelines of spacing with them when uh, this keeps happening to us. Uh, we had a, a lot of focus and we still will and we will till the very end on our, our nursing homes and other congregate living shelters. Uh, this is gonna be a fight for, it's been a fight for PPE, um, not just among Lexington, but Lexington competing against other cities, states competing against other states, states competing against the federal government, the federal government competing against other countries. It has been a nonstop struggle to make sure we have enough PPE for um, those who need it in our hospitals, those who need it uh, on the ground and uh, providing essential services, those in, in public safety. And that fight has not really gone down as much as we had hoped. Um, testing. Testing has been an incredible challenge. Uh, we're very fortunate to have more partners online now than we, we did before, but uh, I was feeling calls all day and night for the first month or so. Just people people were panicked. They didn't know what this virus was going to do to them. They, they thought they were symptomatic. They had no idea where to go and get tested, and we did everything we could to, to make sure we got, we got a, a test to those people whenever we could when, when there were no other answers to that were freely available to them. Um, it was a it was a difficult time for a lot of them, and it still is. People people are really really scared and how this is going to affect them or their loved ones, and I I completely understand it. Um, at the same time, we had to we had to make sure we were sending as many of our own employees home as possible as fast as we could in a in a structure that is not designed for that. Government, as as Councilmember Bledsoe will tell you, government is based on face to face relationships. It's based on sitting in a room and talking about issues. We are not designed to to send the masses across all our divisions home to work remotely. It's it's expensive. It's never been that way. I mean, we're you know if you look at the building we're in, we we clearly show we're we're out of date on most things, especially when it comes to the Zoom technology and the ability to telework. But uh, and we provide a lot of face to face services, but it became it can't it got to the point where we had to make those decisions to send people home to keep them safe. It, it didn't make sense to just say you've got to come in whether or not the, uh, we can close the doors to the public or not. So it's been a very, very small internal group trying to make a lot of decisions. And at the same time, we're seeing a lot of the normal problems we'd have. Like I said, the recycling center still breaking. We were on a pretty good path, weren't we, Amanda? We had a good strategic plan in place for how to, how to really uh, make the right investments to, to get the recycling center back on a better setting, but things break things break down. Um, that's part of life. So getting parts from, from Canada and elsewhere is, it's a bigger hurdle than it used to be. You know, there, there are checkpoints and borders that, that are no longer accessible. There are uh, stay in place orders and across states that, that you can't violate with the, without the appropriate documentation. Uh, there's one surprise after another. Um, and like I said, my own family's at home and I've, I've tried to be as good a dad as I can be whenever I can be home. But at the same time, I, you know, my, in this role, you, you, 
you kind of know it when you go into it, but uh, you're 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 basically the the last person to leave Lexington, turn the lights off, kind of guy. So that's that's where I am most days, sitting here in my office, lonely, with uh, with the door shut, trying to socially distant and and uh, and make sure we're keeping the public is up to date on on things that that are going on as we possibly can. Um, our council, which has been really hard because we normally see them several times a week in person and uh, they're dealing with some of their own struggles. That's uh, it's a, it's been a really, really difficult challenge. And at the same time, I know that's why we're all here. We, we had a, produ a budget to produce in the middle of the, the most uncertain times this, this city has seen in, in modern history. I can yeah. go on here, but I'll, I'll leave it <laughs> Well, you know, I think uh, hopefully you're now sitting in your office with uh, with 74 other people. So at least you're not just alone in your office now. Um, so, uh, Councilmember Blood, so I have a question for you. Um, you know, you're the you're the chair, obviously, of the Budget Finance and Economic Development Committee, and we've spent some time working together on um, education efforts around the budget. And um, I know you spend a lot of time thinking about the budget. Um, but can you give us a very brief overview? I, I, I know you could probably go on for a long time, um, but could you go, for, go over a very brief overview of what the traditional budget process is like so we can learn what's had to change this year? Sure. We had worked last year pretty extensively with the administration and on trying to take part of the budget a little differently. And, you know, ironically, the whole point of this was to try to have more of a joint effort of sharing information and being involved between the administration and the council. And we've had none just by sheer um, leaving the building. So we went through this whole process a year ago, setting up this process, which was pretty much null and void. But traditionally what we do is when the mayor delivers um, the budget, the council takes it, we divide it into groups of, of three, five different, break the budget into five uh, kind of categories, if you will, that have a, a number of different parts of the budget in it. And then those three council members dive in and they dive into those departments, those divisions, they dive down to details. They spend hours going on just that link. So we call it the budget links process. And then ideally after that period of time and the, the council has had time individually to read through the budget book, which is, you know, 600 pages long. Then we come back as a group and the chairs of those links report out on what they've learned, big issues, concerns, things they'd like to think about, um, but they think is worth talking about as a council. And, I don't know if you saw that the budget and brief book, which is we worked on extensively trying to make the budget book, which is really an accounting book, and then very it's very unfriendly. It's very hard. I mean, you we've spent you and I and I know Tyler as well saying this is just not accessible to the public on how we're spending tax dollar money. Um, it's not easy. And so the new summary book is about 140 pages, I believe. 140. I've uh, got to print out here, and it's so much better. It kind of outlines the division. The goals and missions, performance measures, who's what are the big changes, and who's on staff. So traditionally, the the so that's a good document, and I feel very good about that coming out even this year, especially um, since so much of it is not going to be as open and as meeting as often as we'd like. And then after the budget links report out, council spends a couple of days in deliberating, debating, making changes, and then we pass it. Um, so that's traditionally how we're doing it. This year, we just kind of said. The link process is not going to work. You know, we are we are doing our best to be as transparent as possible as a city. So trying to have three council members on a a meet that was maybe private this this doesn't look best. Um, even though all of our meetings are public, uh, you can't you can't do that unless you're joined on Zoom. So we decided to do all of them uh, open this way, which means we won't do as many of them. We're going to cut down probably on the overview of the budget and just do several sessions and encourage people to look that way. Um, it's going to be tough. Um, there's there's no doubt when you can't have those face-to-face -face meetings and discussion, deliberating on Zoom important issues like this is really challenging uh, at best. Yeah, I mean, I think even just like have, having facilitated a lot of these conversations, it is even just that part is, is really difficult, much less having having actual debates. Um, Tyler, what what is it? What has the process been like up until this point um, inside the mayor's office? I know that you all had to had to revise the budget um, that you had already developed um, to fit new revenue projections. So can you talk a little bit about what that process has been like? Sure, in a typical year, we would have um, uh, the, the Economist UK would, would put together a, uh, a, a proposed forecast of our revenues, our, our big four at least, um, of what, it, what growth or um, you know, more or less um, 
big or small might look like in the next fiscal year. And that would give us a, a starting point. You know, we're required to pass a, a structurally balanced budget. You know, that's that's the, the local level and the state level. That's that is our requirement. We do not have the ability to deficit spend. We have to pass a balanced budget. Therefore, we have to come up with an adequate forecast on the revenue side to to be able to meet that. Uh, if you look at the, the first week in March, unemployment in Lexington was about 3.1%. The following week, 8%, then 12, then 19, then 25 this week. If you look at the fact that 66% around about of our revenues come from payroll taxes and net profits, gauging that impact and the devastation it's, it's wreaking across our economy is, is impossible to manage. We built a new budget every single week, trying to hang on to every semblance of, of essential things that only government can do and is required to do and should do as long as we possibly could. And that's it, we got to the point right now where we're at $40 million in the budget we had to produce because time just ran out. There was no longer, at, at some point we were required to take a, a first shot at this and give it to the council. We got to give them the most ethically sound budget we can with the understanding that it's, it's never the done deal. They know, just like last year, we continue to work with them back and forth to provide more detail when it's known, um, provide more recommendations to help them fund more priorities that we just couldn't get to yet. Um, it was incredibly tough. We see, I get, I get layoff letters from companies on my desk every single day, every day since this has started, big and small, some just two people, some hundreds, uh, and measuring with some accuracy what that means to our own economy is is nearly impossible. So to say we're going to pass the budget, that the mayor's proposed the budget, and then the council is going to then adopt the budget, and that will be what we, we ride on um, chiseled in stone between now and next fiscal year is is completely impossible. This thing will have to be re-looked at and reviewed numerous times between now and June even, and then numerous times each quarter from then on. I don't know if it'll get worse. Hopefully it'll get better and we can put a lot more funding back into it. We've been, we've been beating on every door possible trying to ask for relief from the federal level. It has not come yet. We're gonna continue to do so. We're gonna continue to find different ways to fund priorities that need to be funded. We literally just do not have the funds available to us right now. We can't, we can't just adjust some forecasts right now just to try to squeeze some things in. That is, that would be unethical on our part, but we're gonna continue to work through it. Um, it was already gonna be a tough budget anyway. We were already looking at the 15% across the board cuts we took last year, uh, just because we're, we're seeing a slow. There's only so much your economy can grow when uh, raises aren't being dished out. There's only so many new jobs you can add when you're at 3% unemployment. That's uh, we spent a good part of last year looking at how do we diversify our own revenue structure. We looked at restaurant taxes, we looked at other consumption-based taxes, a number of other things that would that would better uh, help our situation to be more resilient in something like this. And uh, unfortunately, the localities in Kentucky have very few options at their disposal. I know we're going to talk about that a little more, so I'll leave that part alone. But uh, I mean, some of the things we we could not just take another 10% or 15% cut across the board. It doesn't get you there. We had to go strategically on certain things like affordable housing. Yes, we had to take a significant portion out of that. But what we did keep was exactly the amount needed to fund the most highest, the highest priority project that was in the shoot for this coming year, which was family uh, family units would be 252 units, and we'll get that done with what they have on hand now and the cash we're going to we're going to propose to provide them. We can still make that happen. We've got to be able to look at the fact that hard cuts are going to be felt across the board. With um, our our homeless funding, we provided enough to make sure that our our uh, existing contract will still be able to continue. We can't do all the additional things we want to do. Um, I know the big the big elf in the room right now is ESR. It's incredibly painful. It's one of the hardest things the mayor has ever done. All of us try to protect it, at least some portion of that. But basically the way ESR is designed right now around the four uh, priority buckets may not exactly be what the needs are. It was not designed to be responsive to a pandemic. We did not feel it was our, our role alone to completely change the way, like I said, those numbers were coming in as those applications for ESR were coming in. We need to have that conversation with council and council who helped create ESR in the first place to talk about how do we shift some of those priorities? Do we completely change those buckets? Do we re have real reapplications come in for certain things? This is going to be a complete remake of this, knowing that budgets are already so tight 
it was not something we could just put a placeholder dollar figure in right now and, and try to move forward because it does not make sense in that way. We've got to have council council input and, and a lot of others in the process. And there's a lot of information out there we still don't know on how that might work. Um, so that's that's been it. We're we're socially distanced in the in the chamber right now with everybody gone, about eight of us trying to plug in a budget while we're responding to a pandemic at the same time and uh, trying to get as, as as good of a terrible budget as we possibly can to uh, to council and, and hope that we can all work on a, a more refined and, and better product along the way. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, there are a number of things that that um, you mentioned in that statement that I think um, that are really important um, for everyone um, to, to remember, right, that our uh, our city's unemployment rate is higher than it was during the Great Depression. Um, it's, you know, over 25 percent, um, which is something that the mayor highlighted in um, in her presentation to the Committee of the Whole. Um, was that this week? That was this week. Um, <laughs> uh you know there are that the budget has had to be revised multiple times um and that you know so much of Fayette County's um of, of Lexington's uh, uh revenue comes from people getting paid and so when people aren't getting paid and people are going on uh, unemployment and and jobs are disappearing and unemployment's climbing there's really uh it really starves the city and so I think those are all um all really important things for people to remember. Um, and we're going to come back in a moment to um, to this conversation about revenue um, and revenue, you know, specifically diversification and how that is and is not possible for you all. Um, but I do want to say, um, just give uh, Amanda an opportunity to, to respond to, um, to, you know, a lot of that um, and specifically about the impact that um, such a high unemployment rate has on the city budget. Uh, sure, and I think one of the things that Tyler mentioned is really important, which is going into this fiscal year budget planning, we were already down. We were already planning for a deficit of a, you know, four and a half to nine million dollar type of a delta. That was that was January. That was when everybody believed the economy was going, you know, exceptionally well. Things were great. We just were not seeing the wage growth to keep up with expenses. That's just the way it is. And um, that so it feels counterintuitive to those who are in Lexington saying, why, why is this the case? That's why. Our expenses are growing and the revenue, the wage growth was not keeping up, even in the great economy we had. You fast forward, you know, two, three months and the employment does what it does. Um, it's catastrophic to a budget that's determined upon people actually working and net profit. Um, you know, I know I talk to my friends all the time and a lot of them are in places where they either are laying off staff, they're taking pay cuts, they're going down to four days a week, not five, they're making all these changes to try to keep their businesses afloat. And if you're event driven, tourism driven, um, socially at all, you know, involved, be it at a um, event planner to a place where you host people to bars and restaurants, all the things. Um, I mean, how often do people say, no, you can't have, you can't carry out liquor. And now we're just passing it out. It's a completely different environment um, than it was. And that, from a budgetary standpoint, I mean, Tyler's exactly right. At some point, you have to stop and say, here's what we have, and here's the budget, knowing that literally two days later, um, things change as the governor makes changes and cancels different summer programs. So that's money that was allocated and now is free to other things. So I've already got a long list of things I'm watching as we move forward to kind of figure that out. But it is, it is a moving target. And we've had conversations amongst council members individually of like, hey, if if budget looks like this in two months, what action are we going to take in response? If budget looks like this in three months, what are we going to start doing and having a plan that's not emotionally driven, that is simply these are the buckets that we're going to have to, and measurements we're going to have to make decisions off of moving forward. Yeah, you know, um, the the thing that um, I, I that sticks in my mind, like having this conversation is, is remembering um, back to the mayor's last budget proposal and uh, the presentation that she made to council um, in which they said, you know, by 2023, there's going to be about a $29 million deficit. And so, um, you know, I think anyone that's been following the budget closely over the past couple of years has seen that coming. And then um, knowing that this is how bad it is this year, if we do go into a recession, how bad it could be in a couple of years. And so I think that gets back to a little bit about our revenue structure and how our revenue structure is so dependent on 
uh, net profits and payroll taxes. And so, um, and, and I know that the city is sort of hamstrung by that um, in, in what it can and can't do. So, um, Tyler, would you like to talk a little bit about what, um, about, about the fact that the mayor uh, made a statement that she won't uh, seek any new revenue increases? Um, but even if she wanted to, and even if the city wanted to, and the council wanted to, what you all could increase would be actually very limited. Um, and that's by, by, by state law. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think her decision and the administration's position on this has been uh, a revenue increase at a time like this when so many businesses are struggling to hang, hang on. It should not be the reason that many more businesses can no longer hang on. Um, it's it's not it's just not the time in, in her mind. And I know there are other there are other certainly a lot of other different different opinions on this. But in her mind, now was not the time to to try to. Uh, to look for revenue increases to try to fill this hole. There's a there's too many people out there hurting right now as it is, um, and we want businesses to come back because we want them to employ people, and we want we want our own revenues to come back in that way. Uh, as far as what we're limited to, um, like I said, yeah, there are very few things that we can um, we can actually do. the The biggest one is our own payroll tax. We um, we basically uh, assess a, a charge of 2.25% as the, the payroll tax, which is considered to be, that's pretty standard across the board everywhere in Kentucky. The rate itself may vary a little bit, but not by much. It is essentially the the charge for the privilege of, of doing business in any, any city. That's essentially how it's defined. Um, it is our biggest revenue driver. It's about 55% or so of our revenue. And uh, I said a lot about that earlier, so I'm not going to repeat myself. But that, along with the, the net profit fee combined, is those are, our, um, like I said, almost two thirds of our entire revenue structure. Other than that, we um, we rely on our insurance premiums, which has been historically low. Uh, that is insurance on almost everything you do, and that's a that's a fee basically on your insurance brokers, um, and and they don't really mind it. They, you know, they they structure it however they structure. It. But what you're already going to see is um, we've already missed the deadline for that. We would have to, council would have had to adopt and pass a, an increase of that sort back in February, I believe, because it has to be to the, um, the state board of insurance by the middle of June, hundred days. We have to get it to them hundred days prior to that. So that would have, we've already missed that. Um, franchise fees are, um, other, other revenue sources we have. That's for your utilities. Um, we, We've also kept those relatively low by comparison to other cities across the state because it's been really good for um, quality of life and for for um, for businesses as well. It's a it's been a good spot, but the increases on those a, a few percentage points don't really help us make up much on the revenue side anyway. Um, other than that, we have property taxes, but we the, the local government does not not generate a lot of taxation from from your your local uh, property tax. Uh, the schools are your your biggest beneficiaries of that. There are several other dedicated taxes that are attached to that. Uh, and the library, of course, is the um, receives the first five cents of of every hundred dollars uh, um, taxed. So uh, we don't we don't do much with that while um, while there's so many other things being being uh, distributed on on top of that as well. So those are our our, our primary sources of of revenues here in the city. Um, we've we've talked a lot with the legislature back uh, earlier this year about about diversification, about local option sales taxes, about uh, the ability to to fund just uh, particular pro uh, capital projects that may um, you know, go up for for vote on the ballot for the citizens to approve or not approve. They would have a sunset clause attached to them. Um, but I think the the state's approach at the legislative level has been we don't want to piecemeal this thing. We want to do a broad tax reform overhaul. And uh, and so they're not quite there yet. They they want to they want to do this in a in a more comprehensive way. So until that's done, we're we are uh, restricted by what we have available to us. Yeah. So um, so you know I think that you mentioned it as being the elephant in the room, and so I think um, just letting you all know that's what we're turning to. Um, so I, I want to talk a little bit about the budget itself. Um, and you know we've talked about some of the ways that that you all. Um, uh, are, are forced into some of these positions, right? Like the, the city budget can't, um, has to be balanced. You can't have a deficit. Um, it, it, it has to be, um, it has to be uh, structured in a way that, um, that obviously 
you have to balance the budget. Um, you also have um, some issues with what revenue options are available. But at the same time, um, understanding all of that and understanding that this is a crisis budget, as the mayor talked about, and um, that we are in a crisis um, for the broader community, um, we're going to be tasked with, all, there are a lot of needs right now, and there are going to be even more needs that come after all of this is over, right? We're going to be dealing after, um, you know, after the eviction hold uh, is lifted, we're going to be dealing with with pretty significant displacement across the entire city. We're going to be dealing with uh, a pretty um, our already um, uh, not ideal affordable housing situation where we have a, a pretty substantial deficit of needed affordable housing units um, is going to be uh, probably even worse. Um, obviously, a lot of the social services um, that uh, that are some some of which are on this call, but the social services that are going to be uh, that are built there to address some of these crises are having funding pulled from them that they need to keep going. And I know none of this is a is is new to to either of you all, right? I, I, you all obviously know that that's the case as well. And so I, I think the way I kind of want to have this next part of this conversation is really. Uh, addressing this a little bit more holistically and looking not at the individual programs, but at some of these uh, larger issues that we're going to be facing both now and after this crisis um, has has lifted. And that is, how do we address this as a city in a meaningful way? If you all, the city government and us, um, yeah, I run a nonprofit organization, uh, as nonprofit or organizations, um, if we don't have the resources we need to actually address it, how do we do this? I don't know who wants to take that. <laughs> Either of you all want to jump on? Since Tyler's uh, absent, not not jumping on, I, I, in a positive way, this is a great opportunity, right? We think about all the number of faith-based organizations and churches who can, who have, who have looked maybe for opportunities to step in, help us do this. We don't need every single person giving time, talent, effort, tithing, I mean, if you will, um, providing some, some measure of support because it's just simply not going to happen with us alone. Government just cannot do that. And we have, you know, I, if you look in the last five or six years of how much resources we've given to nonprofits in the social services community it is substantially higher than our, than our surrounding counties. No question. And I would argue we have some of the most outstanding needs. And so it's not out of proportion with with our giving except that that requires a certain level of of a budget to meet those needs and when you look at 64 percent of our budget being personnel driven and you look at 57 percent of our budget being public safety you're taking some really big chunks immediately and so you're fighting for cash dollars that's shrinking and it is it's really hard then to decide you know which nonprofit which need they're all needs and you said it exactly right as we're cutting services or, or, or opportunities for, for nonprofits, when we're going to need them even more. Housing is going to be more important. Assistance to our shelters, domestic violence. I could go on and on about the nonprofits that are going to be needing, our community is going to need more, and we're giving less too. Um, that is going to take some serious effort on behalf of every single person stepping up where they haven't maybe before. And I mean, I want to be transparent. I don't have an answer yet because I think we're all kind of watching this play out a little bit at a time and trying to stay a little bit ahead of the curve. And we're going to have to do some serious um, work on that moving forward. Uh, we get the budget just like you all did on Tuesday. So I've been spending my time plowing through it, looking through all the details and, and trying to see what could we do. And there's just, you know, at this point in the budget, you're looking at if we want to move a line item from where the mayor has proposed it to someplace else, it takes agreement of eight people on council to do it, where we're taking it from and where we're putting it. And in a tight budget like this, you're, it's, the opportunities are very, very few. So it's gonna be really challenging, is just the truth. Yeah, Tyler, do you have any, any uh, thoughts on that? Sure, um, yeah, there's a, a lot we need to learn and we need to make sure we learn it the right way and, the, and as, as quickly as we possibly can because there's a good possibility this this comes back again, and if it's not COVID nineteen, uh, there there could be you know something else like it not too far off, and uh, we need to be able to make sure that 
And one of the things the mayor's done is launching a, this, this recovery committee is to make sure we have a really strong understanding across the board of what the new normal looks like and how we should a, a spike come in the fall. How do we prevent grinding the economy entirely to a halt again and slowly restarting things? People know it's embedded in our in our DNA then on to uh, to be able to respond and still keep people safe, uh, reinstill confidence in our, our public and our citizens that it's safe to continue to do business and that we're gonna look out for each other. But uh, but we don't just completely stop everything because it can be just as devastating as as uh, you know a lot of the things we're trying to prevent from from spreading. Um, We've been very fortunate that previous councils uh, established and have continued to fund the contingency fund. Um, we've got to make sure we we protect as much of that as we we possibly can because this recovery is going to last longer than just this year. And uh, for how much longer we may need this, we don't know. But uh, we've got to make sure we we have reserves like that in place, and we need to look at um, what other opportunities like that exist out there um, to get us through this. Uh, kind of, I'm kind of like a man in this as well. We're all trying to figure out exactly six months from now, how do we make sure we're in a better place? But, uh, you know, nobody's, nobody's got that answer yet, but everybody's, there are a lot of people working really hard to figure that out. So obviously, you know, one of the things that, 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 um, you talked about Tyler is that, you know, we don't know how long this is going to go on. And, um, if, if this, if, un, if the unemployment rate holds at this, at this level, the the chances are that the budget could could even get worse um and that the city would have less revenue um and so you know i guess like i there are there's some comments in 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 the thread that i um that i uh i, I want to make sure that we get get to and i want people to feel um feel free to go ahead and start you know really posting some things in the comments and we can get to it here in a moment um i want to make sure that we have time to take folks questions and make sure that we pass those on to you um but you know, I think that whenever we come out on the other side of this, we have to start having a conversation, I feel like as a city, about what we can do to build a more resilient city government. Um, that when this happens, um, that this isn't the sort of outcome, right? Where the, the, the organizations that need support the most um, are the first things to get cut. And I think that there are reasons, that there are obviously reasons why those decisions had to be made. And you all can, um, you know, if, if you all wanna, wanna go into that, um, I'm sure people would love to hear that, but um, the, how can we start to build an infrastructure inside our city government where external agencies, which need this need this funding, aren't the first things to go? I don't know how we do that. <laughs> uh, no, I think I'll go back to my previous answer. No, the, the answer is clearly not there, and that's gonna be a long, uh, delicate process to work through. Uh, and we'll have to do it with council and with a lot of a lot of those agencies along the way. It's uh, it's an incredibly difficult time to continue to talk about funding external agencies when we've got so many of our own agencies we've, we've got to fund as well. Um, you know, for every every dollar we cut that went outside of government, we cut two inside of government, and that's painful and that's really hard when our government, as Amanda said, is almost sixty percent public safety right now. Now is not the time to really be talking about what kind of how many police officers and firefighters we want to take off the street when they're out there fighting this pandemic. I, just, I do want to kind of talk about some of the things that we do fund inside of government. And these are the things that have always been government funded and are the, the things that I think only government funds. We continue to fund our emergency financial assistance uh, in, in several different categories, we provide aging services, family services, youth services, scholarships for low income uh, sports enrollment, affordable housing, homelessness, partners for youth, substance abuse program, domestic violence prevention, workforce development programs, multicultural affairs, the Hope Center, uh, NAMI programs, Human Rights Commission. I mean, this list has gone on and on and on and on. I just hit the top, the highlights right there, but this list continues to grow and for good reason, but we've got to, we've got to sort all this out. This is incredibly difficult. So, um, I, I, you know, I wanna open this up um, uh, back to both of you all. Should the should our sort of financial um, situation change, right? Should um, the economy start to come back um, in the next couple of months? What is the process for um, if if our revenues grow uh, back to maybe where they were, which again wasn't an ideal place to begin with? Um, what are what how are those um, how would those funds begin to be used? I mean, would these sorts of programs like the ESR program or other 
um, external agency funding or the Affordable Housing Trust Fund or any of those, would those start to be refunded even though they aren't allocated in the budget if this is the final budget, obviously knowing that there are going to be changes to the budget between now and when it passes? Oh. Is there a, sorry, <laughs> I, I always I have a, a habit then. of like asking a question and then ending it with a statement, which is not a very good thing to do. Um, but Richard, Richard, as it exists right now, um, since this is now council's budget, what we from the administrative side would do is if we get, as we get new, new proposed forecasts, if things do look better, we would present that to, to council as they're deliberating on this budget. We would make our recommendations on where we would, we would uh, prefer they prioritize, but it would be um, their prerogative to, to dispose of accordingly. Um, that same goes for, should we see some, uh, some fruition come through on the, uh, the federal level, any kind of, uh, budgetary relief there. We would make our recommendation to them uh, and they would they would make the final decision. Even after this budget is passed, it will still more or less fall in that, that, same, uh, that, that same sort of tempo. Um, we make recommendations to council and, and they're the, the final policy decision makers. Councilmember uh, council Budzo, do you, do you see any priorities that um, have already kind of developed internally in council about what where those funds would go if they came? I think you've heard a little bit about the committee of a whole on Tuesday, just with people's the questions. How are we going to do this moving forward? And you can kind of got to just certainly ESR was one of the things that and was a highlight in that conversation. So no question, it's a highlight for um, us moving forward. You know, the real policy question that I think we have to start having the towers point is for every dollar we cut outside, we cut two inside. Well, those are those are services the government provides. So how much mowing do we want? How much services do we want in programming at our parks? How many times, um, how beautiful do you want our city to look? I mean, these are, how much paving do you want? How many, the number of things that we do with, you know, quote, government money, if you will, and services, people somewhat don't even see until they're missing. And so there's, a, there's an element of certainly those things do not compare to the social needs of our community. So I don't, I want, I want to make those as if, as if they're equal. The question is just how do we, how do we have that conversation in a way that we meet the needs of our community and meet the expectations that they have of the government of what we need to meet? Um, as simple as this, yard waste. I mean, people have talked to me a ton about yard waste. Why are we picking up more? How often? Those kinds of basic services, they matter. And so if we start reducing those things to make up for other things in our community that are needs, you know, how, how do we have that conversation as a, as a council and as a community on how what to fund moving forward and what is that priority look like and how is it balanced? And um, I'm not gonna pretend to speak for council on that. I'm, I'm just setting the conversation of it's gonna be tough because everyone has you know two or three things they're really passionate about wanting to help fund and getting a consensus around the group on how to prioritize. And, and I have to say this too, you know, $30 million of one-time money for ongoing personnel expenses is not sustainable by any means. And so to make the budget work, even today, even though it's going to change moving forward, it's not like we expect that money to come back. So as revenue comes in, I mean, we've spent, we've spent a lot of money to try to float the boat. So that, that means we're going to have to even have tougher conversations moving forward. So it's, it's challenging. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be bluff about it. It's going to be hard. Yeah. I mean, I, I point, I guess the council would make that decision. You know, we're going to have to have those conversations and decide as a group how and when and, and where to put that resource as it comes in, certainly with the advice and the consideration of the mayor's office. And, you know, I would really like to make the point to, to everyone on the call um, that council members are your representatives, right? They are the people who make these decisions on behalf of you. And so if you have priorities that you want to uh, impart upon them, you should be in touch with them and tell them what you think. That, I mean, that is... I, you know, but when you do that, please be kind and know that like this is not a difficult, uh, it's not an easy situation for anyone. And I think that 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 hopefully everyone can see that reflected in the candor of both of our guests and in um, in 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 the frankly the sort of sad tone that everyone has in this conversation. Um, so there are a couple questions that um, that I want to make sure that we get to. Um, one is um, around specific advocacy efforts the city has engaged to um, engage the state on to expand revenue options like the local sales tax um, if uh, if we're being hamstrung by state law 
what actions has the city taken to try and influence any change on that? Did either one of you all want to speak to that? Um, uh, our office has the, um, the, the the contract with our our um, our lobbying efforts and has the, the governmental affairs. I know council has a lot of conversations with with our elected representatives as well, but we've had the mayor in the halls of Frankfurt numerous times this session and the previous session. We've talked to everyone on leadership on both sides as much as we possibly can to make this case. Uh, the Kentucky League of Cities is doing it for all cities across the board. Uh, this this growing pension liability issue was was something that was going to send a lot of a lot of cities close to or into bankruptcy as it is. Um, and this thing just shed light on how fragile so many of those those uh, those budgets were in smaller cities that didn't have the resources to have a contingency fund like we had. Um, I think this is interesting though because we you know, we we thought there was a lot of promise behind um, a restaurant tax or some some variation thereof in the last session, you know, everybody really thought a, a good consumption-based tax would would be a, a great way to help help keep us whole. When you see what's happening right now, it certainly would not have done much good at all. It certainly, if you would have built a built a balanced budget on something like that, it would have been just as catastrophic as what we're already in, if not worse so. But um, taxation is a really, really hard thing to predict. And it's even harder when you've never lived through a pandemic to, to see play out in real time. And and what it can do to you. So uh, we're going to continue to to work with our our state delegation, um, work with the governor's office, talk with everyone we can about uh, about as we all try to dig our way out of this moving forward. How do we how do we become a more resilient society, not just at the local level, but um, at the state level as well? What about um, what about any um, support from the federal level? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh in the middle of that. Is there has there been any uh, has there been any conversation? Um, what have you what are you all hearing about support for cities our size from the federal level? We well, you know, the last bill that came out that actually provided any kind of um, direct relief came to cities with a population of greater than five hundred thousand and went to states. Uh, that was around three, but that was only for COVID related responses. So. Even in talking to Louisville, who you know falls in that over five hundred thousand category, they got one hundred seventy-seven million dollars for COVID-related uh, relief. This is not a natural disaster response. They're not rebuilding their downtown. They need direct. They need direct relief in their general fund, just like the state. There's only so many test kits and PPE you can buy. One hundred seventy-seven million is nice, but it's not the direct relief we need. And of course, Lexington was entirely left out of that. Um, of course, the last round that went out was just into an extension of the small business loans, which is a good thing. And so the relief to uh, hospitals as well is indirectly beneficial to Lexington. It hopefully preserves a lot of those jobs that helps our payroll as well. Um, hopefully it keeps a lot of those businesses afloat longer than they may have uh, otherwise and keeps more people employed. But as far as uh, direct relief goes, I don't know. We get, you know, we get mixed, um, mixed reports day to day. We talk directly with, um, with our, our Senate delegation, as well as um, our, our local congressional leaders in the governor's office um, quite often. And um, it's, a, it's a constantly moving target is the, the best way I can put it right now. Uh, great, that is uh, informative, but not encouraging. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I wanna, I wanna be really respectful of y'all's time. It's almost four o'clock. Um, I have one other question for you. Um, I want to, you know, encourage other people to to drop any any final questions or thoughts they have into the comments. Um, I do have a, uh, a another question um, uh, from the comments uh, that I believe is from an ESR program. So, could we have a conversation about organizations providing public safety services? Um, the sharing of the burden. Uh, they're they're saying that um, that having 100% of funding cut is bearing the burden, not sharing the burden with other um, with other uh, parts of the city budget. And so I wanna provide an opportunity um, for, for you all to respond to that. And then we'll kind of get to my final question um, if, if there's anything else that you all would, would want to say about that. I guess I'll take that since... Uh, um... Sorry, I was trying to unmute myself. It wouldn't let me do it. Uh, since it's... Not entirely. Well, it is your budget now, but you didn't create the one you're dealing with. Can you repeat the question one more time, Richard? I'm sure. Sure. I'm sure yeah. Um, there was a. It's a question from. So there's also uh, a 
a question that I should probably answer um, before that is, um, is ESR program is the city's uh, program that it used to fund. Um, it's called external uh, extended social resources that is used to fund external agencies um, for for um, social services for nonprofit organizations that that do work um, in the sort of social services sector. It's, it's divided into a few buckets that mm -hmm. I will for sake of time. I will not go into the full description of it. Um, and um, so the, the question was, you know. A lot of those organizations provide um, or um, could could continue to currently provide and um, with this funding provide essentially public safety services right for um, for either folks that are victims of domestic violence or, um, you know, or other or other serious public safety issues. And so I think that the sentiment reflected in the question was that they feel like they're um, uh, bearing 100% of the burden um, in this proposed budget rather than sharing it with um, with uh, with others. Okay, uh, yeah, I, here's I'm going to go back to my my statement from earlier. This we're a long way from from home on on putting a bow on this budget. We did not feel comfortable on the administrative side putting a placeholder number in the ESR line, knowing it was a constantly moving target and the the priority buckets as the program was designed by council and administration years ago was no longer the best way to respond to the epidemic in front of us. We've got a lot of conversation to be had on what restoring funding might look like, where it's gonna come from and what priorities might look like, but it certainly was not exactly as it, as it was applied to now, nor was it something that, count, that the administration was gonna do without significant input from the council. It's going to be, I think there are going to be a lot of robust conversations about how we do this responsibly and uh, and that protect a lot of those critical agencies out there. Was not happy about having to do it. Nobody is. Nobody likes the where we ended up on it. We're going to continue to work on how to make sure that this pain is is eased as much as possible. But we can't do it on our own. We we ran out of time. As I said, we don't. There's so many unknowns still out there when you're building a budget. Um, we don't have our all of our. Uh, our revenues from, from this month right now. We have no idea what kind of impact we're gonna see in May. We've got a lot to understand and a lot a lot of the needs from council to provide input on how we're gonna move forward. So like I said, a proposed budget is a proposed budget, it is not the final budget. There's a long way to go. Yeah, I think that is a, that's a really important thing for, for everyone to understand. Um, so I, I, again, we're kind of, we're, we're getting close on time. Um, so I just want to um, kind of close with the final question to you all uh, that we ask in every one of these town halls. Um, but you know, before that, I really want to thank you all for taking the time to come and be to, to participate in this. I mean, I think I know that um, no one, none of you all are happy with this with this budget, right? I I I think not a single person in the phone, on this call um, is happy with the budget, and so um, to come out and um, and talk with people, um, and to hear um, hear some, you know, very honest, honestly, to hear some critique. Um, I, I think that is something that we should be very happy that our um, our governmental leaders are doing. Um, that is a very that is a, that is a good thing, whether or not you um, like um, this budget in particular. Um, so, one quick final question for you all: um, We do this every town hall is kind of the closing question. Can you all share? one lesson um, that you have learned in this process, um, in this time, that you want to carry to the other side of this crisis? Is there a lesson that you've learned or or, or something that you want to make sure that you remember, something that you want documented um, that you can remember on the other side of this? It sounds like it's coming from your end, Tyler. Uh, Councilmember Bledsoe, do you want to go first? Sure. I turned mine off on purpose. I was afraid it was me. <laughs> uh, you know, that's a really interesting question. And I think um, on a personal level, just with a family that's active and busy and multitasking and lots of balls in the air, I've realized how many things aren't as important as I was allowing them to be. And so just reprioritizing my own time and rethinking about, hey, is this worth this kinds of stuff or, or not? Um, and so that's been really, I want to take that over for sure. 
being more mindful, intentional with those kind of things. And then two, I think the hopeful thing is the professional, especially on city council that I think that we're looking for is in this time, what are you valuing? You know, it, when you sit there and think, okay, I'm willing, you know, taxpayers' dollars are dollars we're receiving from you, and we are trying to do our best to spend it and support our community. I mean, that's it. And what are you willing to pay for? What are the values and what are things that are important to you that you say, I want this funded, and I, I now realize I didn't need as much of this, and I want more of that? We only know that sometimes through an experience, and this has provided a really unique one of, and really shown where a lot of our shortfalls are, where our assumptions were been. Um, so it's a good time to kind of take, take stock, honestly, individually, and then as a, as, a, um, as a council, as a district, and then as a community, gosh, where, where are we seeing our values and where do we want to put our resources to and what changes do we need to make as a community to do that? And that, I think, I think will be really, really helpful moving forward. Great. I, I, um, I really appreciate the sentiment. I know that you and I have talked talked about that a number of times in previous budget workshops that we've held in cheerier times with cheerier budgets about how budgets are the ultimate expression of a city's values. And I think it is incumbent upon all of us to understand that a, a city's budget document is an expression of our values as citizens. And we need to make sure that people know what those values are. Um, and so I, I, I really appreciate that sentiment, Councilmember Blood. So Tyler, is there anything you'd like to um, that you'd like to make sure that you remember and hold uh, yeah. on the other side of this crisis? There, there are a whole lot of things I want to do, the men in black flashy thing to forget <laughs> um, as this, you know, it just, it just wears on you day in and day out. It just feels like there's more bad news every single day that we have to put out. There are more things we had to close, more restrictions we had to put in place. But uh, what I'm going to remember, though, the most is how many good people rose to the occasion, how many people volunteered to go pack food, um, knowing that the, the need was coming. Uh, how many people donated meals when they were getting ready to, to not, not know with any certainty whether or not they're going to be able to keep their own doors open tomorrow? Uh, the number of people that just looked after a neighbor that, that they knew probably didn't have anyone who could come see them anymore because social distancing didn't allow it. Um, the number of new neighbors in my own neighborhood that I met um, that I would have never seen, but I've talked to every day since. Um, in the many different ways, it, it, it makes you realize uh, how different life needs to be moving forward. You need to think more about the, the value of relationships, the value of how we, how we treat each other. And uh, you see a lot of that, I think, in, in some of the, just the, the frustrations in, in people uh, across the city or, or understandably so, they've been locked in. They, they're restricted from a lot of things they can do. They're losing jobs. They're angry about services that have been been cut back. But um, I hope they also think about those same things. How do we treat each other? How do we? How do the best in us who've come out in this? How does that spread and continue to spread when we come out on the other side? And uh, I hope that that is something we can all be more like because I think I've seen I've seen some amazing things from some people I I honestly didn't know had in them. That's that's great to hear. Um, it's always good to end on a positive, um, pos some positive feelings. Um, although here at Civic Lex, I always have to end on something a little bit different, and that is, what can people do uh, if they want to have their voice heard in this budget process? Is should they email their council member? Should they um, who should they reach out to? I'll I'll take that one. Just since the the budget process has come down on our side and. Yep. One of the things that we have talked about is how do we have public input, because that is something we value extensively. We, all of our meetings allow for open comment, public comment, and by not doing that, we're not able to offer that um, currently through Zoom. It just doesn't, it doesn't work. And so um, I would immediately say, as you're responding to the budget, email your own council member. Don't forget to, to not include the at-large ones, but I would just use council members at LexingtonKY.gov. Let us know. Um, all of us, what you're thinking, why, what you value, what your concerns are, so that we can put those into the, into the document. And we've also talked about maybe trying to have some, if you can't use email, call the citizen's advocate, leave a voicemail, and we'll take it down and make sure that's sent to all the council members. We're, we're still working on that, um, on that moving forward, but we want, we want your input. So I would say email all council members is the easiest way, especially since we're all working remotely, 
um, to, to hear it and have documentation so we can have it moving forward. Awesome. Thank you um, for that. We will um, in the in the comments on this on this video or the description in this video when we upload it um, to our Facebook and to YouTube, we'll make sure all of that information is reflected so that people um, can go back there and see where they um, know, you know, see how to reach out to folks that they should reach out to if they have opinions about uh, what should be valued and not valued in the budget. So um, I again, I, I, I can't thank you all enough. I know that this is not a, a topic that you all um, uh, this is not an easy conversation. Um, it just isn't. So I just really want to want to thank you all for taking the time um, to join all uh, seventy-seven people that were on this call today. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah thank you thank all you so, much. so much. We appreciate it. All right, thank you. Have a good day. All right.